It is great to see all of you here today. Welcome to week number three of the series that we are in. We're calling it The Word, uh, Bringing Life to Your Life. And it's just a series where we're learning our Bible, we're knowing our Bible, we want to love our Bible. I believe if you understand the Bible, if you apply it, it will actually bring life to your life. Is that right? I just, I think some of our lives need a little bit more life. And you can find that in the Bible. Is that right? I'm going to start with this verse. We used it last week, and I'm just going to pick up where we left off last week. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is, say it out loud, useful. Those of you at home, put it in the chat. Useful for teaching, for all these things. I want you to think about the Bible as useful. See, it's not just meant to be read or just a kumbaya thing for your Sunday, for your religious experience. It's actually supposed to be in every part of your life. It's supposed to be in your marriage, your kids, your, your job, uh, your family. It's got things to say about our lives in all these areas. So that uh, it says so that the people of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so today, I'm actually going to help you out in a today that's tough for a lot of people, okay? And especially in our generation, we get confronted by a lot of people that say, the Bible's not true. It's not accurate. You can't trust it. There are parts of it that are good, but it's just been messed up through the years, and they make movies about this. And what they call knowledge out there says that that makes sense. I believe that it's founded on lies that the enemy has sown into our culture. Okay? And my whole goal today is to let you know your Bible can be fully trusted. Okay? I'm going to start with Matthew 24. It says, Heaven and earth will pass away. Let me say it this way. Heaven and earth is going to change, okay? There is a lot of change going on right now, all right? Nothing where we live is staying the same. It's all changing. But God says, my words will never pass away. Well, how do we know that? Well, today I'm going to give you what's called apologetics, okay? I love apologetics. I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to this. I'm going to geek out on you a little bit today. Hopefully that's okay. All right, but this is a lot of research that I've actually gotten from other people. I can't take credit for any of this, okay? Josh McDowell, one of the best apologetics, uh, apologetists that, in our generation. And if you want more information, go to his website. It's josh.org. And you could get his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's phenomenal. A lot of, a lot of this stuff that I'm going to present to you today actually came from that book. And then also, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback in California is just genius. He is a master at this. I got a lot from him as well. And uh, he, he has phenomenal stuff. But what I want to do today is I want to give you seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. Okay? Here we go. Ready? Number one, it is historically accurate. All right? Now, this flies in the face of those that would say, you know, yeah, it's got great principles, but the stories. They're probably made up. They're just symbolism. You know, I don't know about the whole Noah thing. I don't know about Jonah and the fish. You know, those are just metaphors and stories. But the problem with that is that history is actually proving the stories in the Bible. Right. You could say it like this. The Bible is not just a story of great principles. It is actually historically accurate. The, and the Bible says that the word of the Lord is not only right, but it's also true, is what it says. All right? So the stories, the things in it, they're absolutely true. Well, Micah, how do you, how do you know that? How can you say that? So all historians will tell you 
that for something to be historically accurate, even secularly, it has to go through three tests. Okay, these are not Christian tests. These are actual history tests. And those three tests are, number one is that there are eyewitness accounts. In other words, these are not hearsay stories. Okay, well, somebody said, so then I wrote it down and now, and I'm just writing it down. Most of the Bible were written by people who were actually there. The Gospels were written by people who actually lived and walked with Jesus and heard these things for themselves, which is why, you know, and even though they didn't collaborate, all four Gospels aligned perfectly. Not one of them contradicts the other one. And they didn't, you know, they didn't sit down and go, hey, what are you putting in chapter 10? I want to do that. No, it is completely accurate because they were there. In fact, in the Old Testament, Moses just didn't hear the story about the Red Sea. He actually saw it part. He was there. Eyewitness accounts. All right. The second thing that is required is that it is record, recorded and copied with extreme care. This is why God entrusted some of the most meticulous people on the planet to actually do this job, and that was the Jewish nation. Watch this. The Jewish scribes had a standard that nobody had ever had to record history, okay? They didn't even transcribe it word for word. They did it letter by letter. Because when they transcribed the first five books, the, the law of the Old Testament, when they transcribed it, they knew what the middle letter of all five books were. And once they finished transcribing it, they went to that middle letter and they counted both directions. And if the number didn't match, they threw the whole thing away. I mean, the whole myth, the untruth of, oh, well, yeah, but it kind of changed throughout. And every time somebody rewrote it, it changed a little bit. That's actually not true at all, historically. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which weren't found till the 1940s or, and 50s, you could go study it yourself. When they found these less than 100 years ago, this was one of the latest copies of that ancient text, and it was perfect in every way. It was matched to the letter because there was such extreme care given in the recording and the copying. Amen. All right? The third was is that there is archaeological confirmation. They are still excavating areas where the Bible took place, and they are finding out over and over and over, oh, that was true. Oh, that did happen. In fact, 19 centuries after Jesus, look, a while back, even Christians thought, oh, well, they just made that up because the Bible talks about this Hittite empire. It was the only people that they couldn't find archaeologically. And then um, they found an area of the world that had all of this stuff that completely validated this Hittite empire. It's actually there because it is archaeologically confirmed. It's true in every way. But look, if you didn't even have that one, in my opinion, each one of these stands by themselves. But look, you have the thing that it is also not only historically accurate, but it is scientifically accurate. Meaning God is the God of the universe. And because he created everything, you could say this way, he created the laws of the universe science. He created the medical laws, our bodies. He created the stars in the sky, and he created all of this stuff, which is why when the Bible talks about it, it has never, the Bible has never contradicted scientific fact. Amen. Even though the science of those days doesn't, didn't believe most of the stuff that was in the Bible, because science evolves, right? 
You realize that. Truth stays the same, but science changes. You don't believe me? Go back and read your third grade science book. They're not even using that anymore. Why? Because everything that was created... Well, watch this. Psalm says, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for He issued His commands, and He, he set it all into order, and they came into being, and He set them into place forever and ever. Well, how it, does that happen as science changes? And look, you don't have to update the Bible as science changes. The, now, the Bible's not a science book, so it doesn't get a lot of science language. But here's what's interesting. It's still accurate scientifically. Watch this. 1861, the French Academy of Science issued a document called the 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts that Prove the Bible is Wrong. Since 1851, all 51, every single one of them have been proven wrong. Well, I guess the Bible really is right. Right? And then not only was the Bible, what the Bible actually says, what's more interesting than that is what the Bible doesn't say. Because there was a science in the day of the Bible, in the writing of the Bible. Right? And none of those things that were widely accepted that we've now found wrong, that were, that were, that were to be reliable back then, none of those show up in the Bible. For instance, like this. You guys know this. You remember the Columbus story, right? It was believed the earth was flat. You know, it, it wasn't Copernicus and Columbus and Galileo that they didn't prove that the earth was round, you know, uh, that they didn't prove that it was flat. They thought that it was round. And of course, we know that story, but they, if they had just looked in the Bible 2,600 years ago, see, the Bible says that God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That word is sphere. It's where we get the word globe. Does that sound familiar? It's a globe. The Bible knew it. If they had just read the Bible. Well, why doesn't flat earth show up? Well, because maybe man didn't write the Bible. Maybe God wrote it. Now, another common belief during the writing of the Bible was that the earth had to be held up. The Greeks believed that it was by Atlas. That's why you see that guy, you know, with the globe on his shoulder. The Hindus, watch this, during the writing of the Bible, they believed that the globe sat on the back of an elephant, which stood on the back of a sea turtle, which stood on the back of a serpent. Now that's pretty wild, okay? That's what they believed. Don't find that in the Bible. The Egyptians, brilliant masterminds of architecture and engineering. I mean, just really genuinely brilliant people. They believed that the earth stood on five pillars. And by the way, Moses was actually trained by the Egyptians. He was trained in the way of the Egyptians. You guys know the story, the basket down the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter gets him. And you guys have seen the movie, right? He was raised as the grandson of Pharaoh and he went to Egyptian schools and he would have been taught this. But the belief doesn't show up in the Bible even though Moses wrote the first five books of it. In fact, the oldest book in your Bible is the book of Job. It's considered to be the oldest book of the Bible. And so the oldest book of the Bible, watch this, it says, He spreads himself out over the northern sky, over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. But that's not what they believed. So how did Job, how did he know this? Well, maybe Job didn't write it. That's how we know. Maybe God told him. Just something for you to consider. All right? All right. How about this one? Believed during the writing of the Bible that the number of stars could be counted. 
Now, Hipparchus, in, in like 150 B.C., start, counted the stars. There were 1,022 of them. <laughs> then 300 years later, uh, another guy comes along who's still considered a, one of the geniuses of astronomy. He came along and he said, that's the most full thing I've ever heard in my life. I counted them. There's 1,026. You missed four. Well, if they had just read 2,600 years ago in Jeremiah, it says the stars of the sky can't be counted. Amen. Because today, scientifically, we keep finding planets and stars and even universes. The Bible knew this. Then you move into the medical science, okay? Are you guys having fun? Yeah. All right. Back then, they believed crazy things. Hippocrates came up with what was called humoralism, all right? Now, he was the father of medicine in many ways, and he believed that there were four different things that basically not only created your temperament, your personality, but also created sickness and disease, all right? It was yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. He thought, those are your problems right there. Humoralism is what it was called. And they believed it for thousands and thousands of years as right medical science. And they be, so they believed things that, that blood will make you sick. Too much blood makes you sick. So what they did was what they called bloodletting. So if you got sick, they thought, man, we got to get that sick blood out of you. So they would cut you and bleed you out. That's how they thought they were getting you well. In fact, our first president... George Washington died from bloodletting. He had heart issues, and on the third time that they, they cut him to bleed him out, he died from it. And of course, we know now the opposite is true. When you're sick, we give you blood. We don't take it away. It's called transfusion. And so because there's life in the blood. Amen. Because in Leviticus, it says, for the, the life of the body is, for the life of the body is in the blood. Amen. The Bible knew it all the time, scientifically. Why? Because man didn't write it, God did. Because, and look, Psalms 12 says the words of the Lord are flawless. They're flawless. And watch this. If you begin to believe that, it will actually change your life. Like silver purified in a crucifer, like crucible, like gold refined seven times. Amen. All right, here's the third one. It's also prophetically accurate. Now, this one is going to blow your mind, okay? It is prophetically accurate. Now, this would be a great risk. If man wrote the Bible, why in the world would you predict a bunch of stuff that had to happen in the future? All right, all this stuff that had to be, that was foretold and had to become true. Because if any of those prophecies doesn't happen, you got to throw the whole thing out. Are you ready for this? There are more than 1,000 prophecies in Scripture, okay? 300, over 300 of them for Jesus alone, Okay? Now, the last prophecy about Jesus was given 400 years before he lived. So these prophecies are over an 1,100-year period of time. And the very last one, like, for instance, if it was today, that last prophecy would have come over on the Mayflower. That's a long time ago. So they would have no idea about the person of Jesus at all. And then they give over 300 prophecies about Jesus, and, it, and they're not like, oh yeah, he's going to be awesome, he's going to be really cool. No, details, where he would live, where he would be born, that he would flee Egypt as a child, that he would arrive into Jerusalem on a donkey, specifics. Watch this, this is crazy. David prophesied the crucifixion of Jesus before there was even crucifixion. It wasn't invented yet. Nobody was killing people that way. It didn't even exist. 
It came with the Romans right before Jesus came along. How did that happen? Well, it had to be God. In fact, there's a guy named Dr. Peter Stoner, and he did an entire study called Science Speaks, okay? He had 600 researchers, probability experts, okay, gathered together with him. Pro probability is like just the study of the chances of something happening. Like if you had a bucket full of 10 ping pong balls and all of them were white but one was red and you shake them up and you blindfold a person and they stick their hand in there and they, they pull out a ball. What's the probability or the chances of grabbing the red ball? That chances of that are, of course, one in 10, right? That's probability. So he gathers all these guys and he asks, what's the probability that any one person could fulfill the prop all 300 prophecies? And they found out this, just for eight of them to be filled, okay? For eight of them to be fulfilled, it would be the chance of one in 10 to the 17th power. It's this number right here. Now, I know that's just a big number. It may not mean anything. So I want to give you a picture, okay? If you took this many silver dollar coins and you had to store them somewhere, all right, it would take the whole state of Texas two feet deep to store them. That's how big that number is. So that means if you took all those silver dollars and you mark one of them red, and then in Oklahoma somewhere, you put a dude on a helicopter and, and you fly him over Texas and you tell him, hey, tell us when to stop. And then you let him down and he digs his hand in, he grabs one. The chances of him grabbing that one, it, does anybody try to drive across Texas? It's 14 hours in a car. That is a big old state. All right. That is a long, big state. But here's the thing, the chances of him grabbing that coin is just the probability of eight of the 300 prophecies. Wow. All right, so let's do this. 16 prophecies would be one to the 10th uh, in 10 to 45th power. 48 of them is one in 10 to the 157th power. You, you can't even, like, you, that'd be like putting electrons all over Texas two feet. I mean, there, it's just impossible. So how did it happen? Perhaps. Second Peter says, For prophecy never had its origin in human will. Instead, it was written, it was spoke from God. That's how they got it right. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, inspired to write See, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 26. He says, look, you can trust all those prophecies, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophecies as recorded in the scriptures. The only scriptures Jesus had was in the Old Testament, and they are true. And actually, there are a few that are yet to be fulfilled. And look, you do not want to be on the wrong side of those prophecies. All right? Read the book of Revelation. We studied it in our study on Daniel. We talked a little bit about it last week. The whole world is setting itself up for the fulfilling of those prophecies. And that's why Revelation is an important book. In fact, the last book, the last chapter of Revelation says this. It says, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. See, these are going to happen. So you might say, well, I just think they kind of just flipped a coin and they happened to get it right. It's, it's, I'm sorry, it's impossible. In fact, watch this. It takes more faith to believe the prophecies of the Bible are coincidence. I mean, you got more faith than I do if you believe that than to believe that God actually planned them. 
I mean, this is crazy, all right? All right, are you, you guys okay? You enjoying this? All right, number four. It is thematically unified, all right? It's thematically. Let, let me explain to you what I mean by this, okay? Here's the thing. It wasn't written by one person. The Bible could be uni- I mean, unified if one person wrote it. If a human wrote it, it, it would be just one person, so it would be unified. It was written by, by over 40 people over a period of 1,600 years, which means they couldn't collaborate. They didn't even live in the same place. Twelve different nations, three different continents. It's absolutely impossible. And yet, they all write about the same theme and the same person without contradiction. How does that happen? Well, because Jesus said in Luke 24, and the beginning with Moses, that's the law, the beginning, and all the prophets, that's all those, those books, he explained to them what was said in all those books, in all the scriptures, and he said that they all concerned himself. They were all about him. And here's the thing. When you read the Bible, look for Jesus, because he's the whole story of the Bible. I just, I'll give you a, um, a resource that you could, you could kind of go deeper. I've got this book. Uh, my dad left it to me uh, as, as a senior pastor here. It's kind of a cliff note version of every book in the Bible. Uh, so if you like want two or three pages and you're trying to understand you know, a particular book, this lady, Hen- Henrietta Mears, served under Billy Graham. She was one of her, his intercessors. Sat down for just a minute where she just wanted to help people understand the Bible. And she wrote, What the Bible is All About is what it's called. And it's an amazing book. And what she does, though, one of the cool things is at the beginning of her explanation of, like, for instance, Leviticus. uh, Under Leviticus, she says, hey, look, here's where Jesus is in Leviticus. And she does that in every book. You know, here's where he is in this book. Here is where he is in this book. And it just helps bring your Bible alive. It's absolutely amazing. I want to encourage you to get that. All right, so here's number, number five. It was trusted by Jesus, okay? It's like Jesus trusted the Bible. And so, because I, I hear people say, you know, well, I mean, I, I love Jesus. I love his teachings, you know, all that. Um, you know, Jesus was, was a good guy. I don't know about the rest, of the, the rest of the book. I don't know about all that. Jesus was a good man, but I don't know about the rest of it. Well, the issue is you can't trust Jesus without trusting the rest of the Bible, because Jesus trusted the rest of the Bible. And if you're going to trust Jesus, you've got to trust what he trusts. And he trusted the whole thing. So, like, look at this. In Matthew 5, he says, For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, all right, not even the least stroke of the pen of the Bible will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You see, Jesus trusted the whole Bible, and, well, but Micah, things have changed, you know, things change. We don't really believe it like that anymore. I'm telling you, if something is going to change, don't let the Bible change to fit you. You change to fit the Bible. Amen. Is that right? It is reliable. Jesus trusted it, and so do I. And in fact, let me say this. You can be- if you believe what you like in the Bible, but you don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust, but yourself. It's true. The truth is we've actually turned the Bible into my own truth, truth into my own truth. Well, you believe what you want to believe, I'll I'll believe what I want to believe. Well, I'm telling you that the Bible is the truth that you can stand on. I'm not going to trust me, I'm going to trust God. 
All right? There is no way on earth that it could have done everything that I've just described to you. Look, I'm not even done yet. <laughs> There's more. It is true. It is right. All right? It is pure. And it is perfect in every, every way. All right? You know, look, there's a lot of things in it, just to be honest, though, that I don't get. But I don't get digestion either, and that don't keep me from eating. Let me just tell you. So I'm going to trust because Jesus trusted. End of story for me. How about you? Yeah, I'm encouraging you to make the same decision. Okay? Here's the sixth one. It has survived all attacks. Now let's just stop right there and ask, well, why was it attacked in the first place? Why are all the other books not attacked? Have you ever noticed the attack on Christianity? It's like none other, right? It's like none other. So why do you think that that is? Could it be that the enemy just wants to keep you far from it? He don't want you to have anything to do with it. And that's why the Bible has been the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever. And it still endures today. It still lives on today, changing lives even today. Nobody has been able to stop it. And I'm, I'm sorry I get excited about it because nobody has ever been able to stop God's Word. I mean, I'm fired up about it. Man, I am not ashamed of the gospel of my God because I know it's the power of God even till salvation. And it will change your life. And I'm, watch this. Look at this. First Peter 1 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall. Things are going to change. But the word of the Lord endures forever. It's true. And I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I'm not going to be ugly and rude. I don't put my Bible in people's face or anything. But you're, you're welcome to come over and have a discussion with me about it. I'm not hiding it. I believe it. And then, and then you got all these smart people. You know, one of the smartest people that ever lived, and honestly today is considered one of, the, one of the most genius men, is a French philosopher named Voltaire. He was so cool. He's like Sting. He only has one name. And uh, now, if you study, he actually had about eight names. It was Jean-Claude, blah, 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 blah. And so they just said, all right, we can't deal with all that. We'll just call you Voltaire. And so that was his name, Voltaire. Genius, genius guy, Okay. And so he was noted as saying this, within a hundred years, the Bible will be forgotten. The only thing that's been forgotten is that quote right there. That's it. In fact, this is so funny. After he died, his home became the place of the French Bible Society. Get some of that, Voltaire. <laughs> that's hilarious. I love it. God, there's a sense of irony in that, right? And I just believe that every one of us in this room needs to decide this question. What's going to be the final authority in my life, the Word or the world? Amen. For me, it's the Word. I'm going to believe God's Word. And, and honestly, I intentionally put this word, authority, here. Because, see, the Bible is not my kumbaya for Sunday, give me a little pep talk for the week, a little warm fuzzy. No. I am going to live by it. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to study it because it gives life to my life. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to speak it. We're going to teach you how to do that in upcoming messages. I'm going to live by the Word of God. And I'm what you do. All right? Now, 
Now look, sometimes it says some things you don't understand. Maybe you don't even agree with, but you just got to say, look, God, I'm going to line myself up with you. And, and look, they can lock me up. They can put me in jail. I am not denying God's word. I know the world seems to be trending in other directions. Let it trend. The word of God is the power for my life. And I know everybody doesn't agree, and if the government wants to write laws and do things, help yourself. I'm not changing. I'm going to preach the Word of God no matter what. All right? We need some people in this country that live that way. Is that right? Amen. All right. So, the last proof is one that you can actually test yourself. This last proof, you can actually test it, okay? One of the things that I, test, that I say often is, um, well, just... Give us a year of your life, just as an experiment. I mean, let me be who I am. Look, I'm nothing great. I'm just the tour guide to really point you to great. And it is my job as a pastor, and I'm, and I'm telling you, if you would give us a year of your life and just do what we, what we give you, read your Bible every day. You know, I'm not talking about dominate your whole day. Everybody's got 15 minutes to, you know, to read the Bible, to get into the one-year Bible. And if, if, if that's all you got time for, give God 15 minutes. And I will guarantee you, your life will change. It won't be perfect, but I guarantee you that your next year will be better than this year. All right? I mean, you come, come to the stuff that we do. There's a reason. We don't just do it to, to be doing it. Come to the services that we have. Don't miss. Prioritize that. If we have a parenting class, go learn what God's Word says about parenting. If we have finance meetups, go find out what God says about your finances. God, His Word is true. We have meetups that you can go to. We have classes. We have, you can go online and, and peruse through, find out some of the groups that interest you on the new app that we're launching. You, you can do it on the website. And if you can't find a group you like, start a group. All right, but here's the seventh proof that the Bible is true, okay? It has power to transform. It will change your life. If there's something in your life that needs changing, it will change your life. And I want you, just watch this. John chapter 8, I want you to dream that this is your verse. Jesus said, if you hold, and that's an interesting word there, okay? If you hold on to my teaching, watch this. Take, what, take a year and just say, hey, I'm going to take hold of the Word. I'm going to grab the Word. I'm going to study the Word. I'm going to prioritize the Word. All right, Micah, I'll do that. Hold on to His teaching. And in fact, if you hold on to His teaching, that's who Jesus says, that's who my real disciples are. If you do that, you are my real disciples. Oh, well, maybe we got time for church today. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. A lot of people that go to church in America are not disciples. They're churchgoers. That was a little real quiet right there. But then here's what's going to happen if you'll do this, is that when you, you will begin to change your beliefs to what God believes, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your kids. It'll change your parents. It'll change your, your health. It'll change your finances. It will set you free if you will line up your beliefs with the Word of God. Is that right? Amen. Everybody stand with me. Let's pray.